podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach. And see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Uh, Good evening, everybody watching live on YouTube and everybody listening in on your podcast apps. I'm your host, Menas. I'm joined by my co-host, Paul Dennett, who's returning from long service leave. Paul, welcome back. Thanks, Menas. How are you? So I was going to work this morning and I was just going through in my head all the World T20 games, all the WBBL games over the next six weeks and thinking, oh, my God, that is like wall-to-wall cricket. How am I going to do anything else? How am I going to work? How am I going to see my family? Uh, So I was actually sort of freaking out. Well, I mean, you've you've had about what? Uh, you started in '89, so you've had about thirty three years to get used to this. Um, and I I know it's um, a little bit more cricket than normal in the next few months, but I think that if anyone can handle it, it's you. <laughs> well, I'm going to give it my best shot, that's for sure. Um, so, look for those uh, tuning in. Welcome. We've got lots of uh, cricket headlines to get through. Um, so much to talk about in the lead up to the World Cup and the WBBL. Uh, Paul, I think facetiously put in the notes for this show. Oh, man, as I want you to pick, you know, the WBBL sides one to eight. Well, I've done it, Paul. I've, I've got them ready. So <laughs> why would you assume it's facetious? It was, it wasn't facetious well, at said, all. It was. You said something like, as someone who knows more than women's cricket than most people. So anyway, yeah, Menas, it might surprise you, but sometimes someone gives you a compliment and it's just straight off the bat. I was just, um, <laughs> I was actually interested. If you must know, I like having a punt on the cricket, and I thought for a start, I want to. I, I think maybe there's um, some knowledge in the market that's probably lacking a bit, and Menas would be the first person to kind of give me steer me in the right direction. So I was genuine. Um, well, I've done so, it. So I really was. So write it down later on. It's coming. Uh, But let's get into the cricket headlines brought to you by Piccolo Podcasts. And let's start with the, I guess, the biggest controversy in cricket at the moment. It's the the Matt Wade furor um, in the wake of his um, uh, incident with Mark Wood. He put his arm out in the the T20 game in Perth and... uh, Joss, Joss Butler did the, the nice thing, didn't appeal. Uh, but in the wake of that, it's been all the talk. talk. And Shield Berry, uh, this was the first line of his article I read tonight. It was a disgraceful blot on the sport of cricket that Australia's Matthew Wade got away with blatantly obstructing the field. So a typically English response, Paul, but uh, where do you sit on this matter? I think it was handled really well. I, I, look, Wade shouldn't have done it, and Butler probably should have appealed. Had he appealed, Wade would have been given out for sure. Um, there's no excuse for what Wade did, except for the fact that it's not murder. Um, it's you know he, he stuck his arm out. Um, there are there have been worse crimes committed in the history of humanity. So it was just a, it was a a brain fade, a stupid reaction for and 
he deserved to be out for it and deserved to cop a, a you know a little bit of criticism for it. But it's like I don't think it's that much of a for me. It's not that much of a talking point. It's something he shouldn't have done. Um, and I, I think it was quite nice that Butler did didn't appeal. But I, I I think it shows as well the pressure that they these players are under and that it must be one of the most nightmarish scenarios being out on a cricket field realizing oh, I've just done something that could potentially could get me embroiled in headlines for the next couple of days. And Butler probably thought, oh, I'm not sure exactly what the look is here, but who cares? This game's going to be forgotten in a couple of days. I don't want to bring that angst upon myself. As it turns out, I don't think he would have had any angst brought upon himself had he appealed. But, um, you know, he thought, you know, people self-censor a little bit these days and sometimes um, I don't blame them. Yeah, I, I want to defend Matty Wade here. I think it was a little bit of a, a reflex reaction. You're just kind of protecting his space. Probably went back to his sort of AFL days in the park. And I don't think he actually really thought about what he's doing, what he was doing. I don't think he could really see the ball. That being said, though, he should have been given out if there was an appeal made because it was obvious whether you, which reflex action or not. Um, the only yeah, thing I will a, say... It was just a silly reflex action. I don't think there's any malice to it. Um, and I think that... Shield Berry could, you know, should calm down a bit. I think it's, I don't think it's a blot on the game. But actually, Shield Berry, you know, taking this moral stance is actually, I think, this overall English attitude towards the spirit of cricket is maybe why they didn't appeal. I mean, Crash Craddock made a good point on the radio this week that England have kind of backed themselves into a corner. You know, they got up in arms about the the run out at the non-strikers end by the Indians women women's team. So then they have to be seen to be really noble on the field. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And it's not the worst thing to, you know, have happened that if players, um, I suppose the thing is, the, the fact that would I think he probably would have caught it. Do you agree if there'd been no in, 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 um, obstruction? Uh, I think it's quite likely he would have. Yeah. So that's what really makes me strongly think that it should be should have been out. Um, when I watched it firstly, somehow I missed, I didn't have the sound on. I was watching it on a phone. And I thought it was only just a possibility of a run out. And I thought, well, there's no way he's going to get run out. And I wasn't so bothered. But, uh, yeah, he should have been out. Um, and... I'm sure if it had been a World Cup game, they would have appealed. So, yeah, mm. I don't think it's anywhere yeah. near as big a deal as people are making it up. Yeah. And I, honestly, like Mad Men has like poked his head out when I was reading the Shield Berry article. He actually wasn't really attacking Wade's character, but just the, the, the way all this pomp and arrogance that the English have towards cricket sometimes is nauseating. Um, all right. So um, the Australia played England in Perth in a T20 game. It was actually a really good game. England mm. made six for 208. Uh, Joss Butler made 68 off just 32 balls. Alex Hales. 84 off 51. Then they kind of fell away a bit. Nathan Ellis took three for 20 for Australia off his four overs. Definitely the pick of the bowlers. Then in reply, Australia looked good for majority of the chase. Warner 73 off 44. Mitch Marsh 36 off 26. Marcus Stoinis 35 off 15. And then Australia fell away and lost the game by eight runs. Uh, Mark Wood probably the pick of the bowlers for England three for 34. I mean, a couple of takeaways from that for me, Paul, is A, Australia should have won. I mean, they had the game, I wouldn't say in the bank, but they were very, very good with about five overs to go, looking very good. Yeah, I think it just shows that um, whenever you've got a run rate of 10, 11 and over to get, you can never sort of tick it off. That It, it was looking like Australia was starting to cruise, uh, but you could just never be um, 
never be 100% sure. Um, and we've seen that happen in T20 before, that um, games that look like they're going to be certain victories, all it takes is a wicket or two, a couple of dot balls, and suddenly that easy 10 and over becomes 12, 13, 14 and over, and um, it, it can it, it can get away from you, and that's what it did for the Aussies. But I think I agree with you. I really enjoyed the game. I thought it was a, a, a lovely spectacle. And um, I think that both sides took a lot out of it, and both sides confirmed that they deserve, I think, to be probably the... The, I think Australia's the number one favourite for me for the tournament, and I think England's the number two favourite, and, and I'd have them above India as, as the third favourite. Interesting. Yeah, I think England have really strong batting. Uh, I, I don't think their bowling is quite as strong as Australia's. Uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, their attack of Wokes, Topley, Wood, Curran probably doesn't quite match, you know, Hazelwood, Stark, Cummins, Zampa for me. Um, but, yeah, not a lot between the sides. And, um, you know, when Butler and Hales get going at the top, that, that's a, you know, a really devastating combination. Yeah, I agree with your point around the bowling. It's a funny thing with Wokes again. Like, what was his final figures? Um, he, he just He's perpetuating this um, career of just a fantastic bowler in England. And he, when he comes to Australia, he's <laughs> absolutely useless. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that he'll make their starting 11 too often if he keeps on bowling like mm. that. No, they would, don't really. Like all out and out fast bowlers, he's like um, feast or famine, isn't he? His first two overs, he went for a twenty, um, and then he ended up basically winning the game for them. So he's he's exciting to watch. Would absolutely. Um, so a great game. They play two more games in uh, Canberra on Wednesday and Friday, ahead uh, of the World Cup. Uh, I thought Nathan Ellis looked great. Uh, he, I, I think he's someone that Australia will look to play more after this World Cup cycle. Um, so, yeah, I think we'll see a lot more of him. We had a question on a show, um, I think it might have been the last one I did, and it was so, from someone saying, should Nathan Ellis be in the side? And I thought to myself, you know, he could he could perfectly well be in the um, World Cup squad, but why is this guy so... Um, uh, agitated about it, but I, I, I've now realised why. Um, that He only played the one game in India. He was clearly our best bowler. He was clearly our best bowler the other night. And when you look at the context of the match, what was it? Um, so 408 runs scored, subtract the 20. So 388 runs off 36 overs. Um, and he bowled four overs for 20 runs and took three wickets. Like that's an extraordinary... Um, extraordinary return um i got the sense when he was bowling as well as an australian fan who might have had a little bit of money on australia and so that had an extra incentive <laughs> for them to for, to want them to win a sense of comfort when he bowled i was like he's not going to get smashed around um i i think i'd actually bring him into the squad for the 15 i i think um it irritates me as i've said before that they're not they're not going to make changes now unless there are injuries even though they are allowed to like if you're allowed to make the changes, they should have a. Uh, as a matter of fact, it should. As a matter of policy, it should be right. Today is the last day, the fifteenth of October, that we can change our squad before we have to do only like for like replacements. Did we get it right? And the odds are, after a month, you probably didn't get it right. That that, that shouldn't be anything to be ashamed of. They should be able to say, "Oh, actually, um, we're, we're going to." Um, make a couple of changes. And one of them is that Nathan Ellis is going to come in and Kane Richardson, unluckily, will miss out. I think that would be a better squad. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's silly that they named the squad so early, and you were on to this one a, a month ago when they did name it. And I think now they're in a position where they, they don't want to tap, you know, Steve Smith on, on the shoulder and say, look, Cam Green coming in and, as you say, Cam Richardson. Um, if, if, if say, a Ashton Agar doesn't pull up, would you put Cam Green or Nathan Ellis in the squad? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I mean... If faced with just that choice, I probably, I'd probably bring in Cam Green. But as you know, if it was up to me, I would bring in both of them. Um, I'd bring in Green for Finch, and I'd bring in Ellis for Richardson, and um, away we go. Um, I, 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 don't you think it's weird that the selectors are more afraid of potentially? Uh, I, I personally would still keep Smith in the squad, but I understand there's an argument that he could be dropped. If right now, if you could see into George Bailey's mind and say, what would the 15 pick that you would pick if you had no fear or favour? And if it differs from the current 15, that's a problem. Like what other high level elite professional environment would that be tolerated in? And the, you know, the CEO of a company has to be able to make the, the, the tough decisions. And it just seems that they're not, um, they're too afraid of, unsettling people rather than just ruthlessly picking the best squad. And I'm sure they would deny that and say, this is the best 15, but I don't think they think it is. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I see where you're coming from, but I think it's a bit of a kick in the teeth to name your world cup squad and then say, Hey, we've changed our mind. Like who cares? What, oh, what Steve this? Smithwood oh. and Kane Richardson, they've probably but told their families I'm playing in the world cup. Hey, yay. And then they're just like, Oh no, Bales changed his mind last minute, had a change of heart. I just don't think you can do that to people. Are you crazy? Like, um, we are talking about professional sport. Yeah, but, but, they've, are... but they've named the team already. Like, I, I'm saying you've got to make the call, but oh, once you've made just, the um, call, you've got, you've got to stick with it. I can't believe what you are saying, that you are more concerned with the, the feelings of a couple of professional sports stars rather than picking the best squad. Now, if they honestly think that the 15 they've got is the best, if they in their heart of hearts believe that, then I'm fine with that. But if they and you think that it's not, and yet they and you in this situation wouldn't make the changes, that's unprofessional. That is unprofessional. And they should be sacked. They should be isn't sacked. It un- isn't it unprofessional to go back on an official announcement? Like if you say, okay, here's my squad. And then, oh, no, 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 no. We've changed our mind. We've changed our mind. Sorry. No, no. Uh, there's only one go. question. We're going to rub it out. Which 15 players have uh, give us the best chance of winning the World Cup? Nothing else matters. And if they think that the current 15 aren't the right 15 to win us the World Cup and they haven't got the guts to make the changes, that's unprofessional and they shouldn't be in the job. It's not well, that hard. And if you said to Steve well, Smith, we are now uh, um, not including... I'd still keep him in the squad. But if they honestly think he's not worthy of his position in the squad and they're too afraid to say that then they're not worthy of their job as selectors and they should all be turfed out. Well, now now you can play selector now. Give me, I know you've got it here, give me your current best T20 side and then I'm going to give you what I think the actual team will be. You give me the sort of, uh, you know, in an ideal world what the team would be if you were chief selector. All right. Um, The notes aren't loading on my computer, so for those watching. Do you want me to read it out for you? No, no, I've got, I've got the notes on my phone. So I'd have um, Green, Warner, Wade, David, Maxwell, Stoinis, Marsh, Cummins, Zampa, Ellis, 
and Hazelwood. And I would say um, if the pitch looked like it was an absolute belter where every ball is going to get smashed, I'd be tempted to omit Cummins and bring in an eighth batter, being Inglis. If it looked like it was the opposite of that, a two-paced pitch where 60 off 50 would be a match-winning match winning innings, then maybe I'd drop Stoinis and bring in Smith. I'd still have Stark in the squad. Um, if I brought him in, for example, for Cummins, I'd be very tempted to also open the batting with him as a pinch hitter and just say, go out there and, and hit a few sixes. Um, and assuming Agar's injury does come up, which it sadly doesn't look like it will, I'd be more than willing to have him in there as a, as a second spinner if there looked like there was going to be some spin going around and, and him instead of Stoinis. So I basically get rid of Finch um, and I bring in Ellis as the two um, sort of changes, I think, from what they'll actually do. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a good team. I like it. And I like the fact that you made Matty Wade captain. Um, and yeah, and then and I, I think as what... I've said, I say this again, just to sort of, for anyone listening to the first time, I have nothing against Finch. I love him. Um, he's not far from my side. Like, it's not like, I don't think he's a bad, he's not a disgraceful selection. I just think that at this stage, if you're being honest and say, who are the best? They've picked eight batters. If you said who are the best eight T20 batters in Australia, I don't think Finch is in that group at the moment. He's not mm, far away, okay. and he may well do really well in the World Cup. And if he does, then I will reject anyone who will say, "Oh, you've been proven wrong, Dennett." No, it's like you know, it's it's um, it's not an absolute science, but I think that he's not currently in our best eight. He's certainly in our second best eight. I'd pick him in a, in a, in a, a second squad, uh, and I don't mean that as an insult. Um, so, and I hope he does come good. <laughs> Very insulting tonight, Paul. We lots of edits. Um, all right. Um, the actual 11 that I think they will go for in match one against New Zealand at the Sydney Cricket Ground, and I will be there. Um, the actual 11, Finch, Warner, Mitch Marsh, Glenn Maxwell, Marcus Stoinis, Tim David at six, Matty Wade at seven, then Cummins, Stark, Hazelwood, and Zampa. That is what I think the 11 will be. I think they've moved on from Steve Smith. I think we've seen that in the, the games he's been resting. I think he'll be the reserve batter. And um, Maxwell, Stoinis, and David will all play. What do you think of that it's a team? very good side. It's a bloody good side. Oh, I think that's... Um... That's as good a T20 side as we've ever had. Um, I, mm. I think this side has just come together magnificently. And the two changes that I would make, they're not that significant, really. Um, uh, so I think that's a, um, a stunningly good side. And when you look at the middle order of, of um, Mitchell Marsh, Maxwell, Stoinis, David and Wade, the combination of power and ability in there throw in, uh, you know, Warner at the top who's in career form and Finch who certainly, certainly could come good. That's a super, a super batting lineup. Mm. And the, the version two of the team, and give you an alternate version. If Ashton Agar's side strain doesn't come good and they put in Cameron Green into the squad, then I think they could open with Warner and Cam Green. Then they play Mitch Marsh at three, Aaron Finch at four, Maxwell five, Tim David six, Wade seven, same bowling lineup. And I think that means Marcus Stoinis would miss out. And I think the reason they'd do that is because I think they'd feel that Green's bowling is more valuable than Stoinis. And obviously Maxwell offers you the the spin option. So Stoinis would miss out. Yeah, and that would also be 
would be an excellent side. I, I mean, Stoinis batted really well the other night, though. Um, uh, he, he, he and Mitch Marsh both showed good form. So that's that's another little tick in the box for Australia that um, we've now pretty much got uh, every batter who's likely to feature in the side pretty much firing. So yeah, it's 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 pretty powerful. And I think mm. with Smith, I. I, I always say that I think if if the, if it was the if the pitch from the other night was the pitch for the first game of the World Cup, I definitely wouldn't have him in my eleven. But if it's one of those pitches where you look at it's like a um, uh, oh this one looks like it's tacky and it's going to be a bit difficult, then I would like him in there. But I'd still like to have the the floating batting order such that I don't want him coming in at number four if we're two for eighty after eight overs. Uh, then I want him to slide all the way down. But if mm. if we are two for twenty after four overs and struggling to get it off the square, and chasing one hundred and fifty, then the the feeling of calm that I will get as Steve Smith walks out to bat is is huge. And I hope that um, I hope that they're willing to put him in the side if they think, oh, actually this pitch um, might require that sort of knock. There's an interesting article by Ben Horn uh, this week, and he's got quite close connections with Smith and his uh, management group, I think. And he was writing an article um, about maybe Smith opening the batting in white ball cricket when Finch retires. And, Paul, you must remember, I've been saying this since beginning before the 2019 50-over World Cup, that Smith should be opening in our white ball teams. And the only reason he wasn't is because they've stuck with Finch. Yeah, you have been. You have been saying that. I I think... I would differentiate between the T20 and the 50 ever side. And I, at mm. the moment with my T20 hat on, he would do a very good job as opener because he's a very good player. And I could see him manipulating the ball through the field and getting some good runs. But the thing is, everyone wants to open. It's demonstrably the best place to bat in, in T20 cricket. And you've got that first six overs of only two out. So Smith would do well, but so would all of them. And they would all want to open. And I just think the problem with Smith is that he would be likely to um, – defend good balls rather than have a swipe at them. And you're sort of, you're squandering the power play as a result of doing that. So I just think, who do I want opening? Do I want Smith opening or do I want someone with more power and more, um, you know, likelihood to clear the fence? Like compare Smith or Maxwell opening. I think Maxwell, if, if it comes off, he, he could get 50 or 15 balls. Um, Smith's not going to do that. So I think that um, uh, Smith would be a good opener, but I don't think it's the right decision for the tw- for the, for the T20 side. Uh, I've got a, I've got more time for it as a as an idea on the fifty over side. Maybe that's not such a bad idea. Mm. Can you imagine a top three? You got Warner, Smith, and Labuschagne, and then you got you know Maxwell and your hitters to follow. That that's I like that. Um, but you're right. I mean, it's a great place to bat at the top of the the order. Smith would do well. I think he, the advantage to him opening in T20 cricket is say you would decide to make him your white ball captain, like. They've done with Finch, and they, you know, they want to play him. If he opens the batting, he just has to get over the infield and you know putter away for four, rather than having to clear the boundary in the late. Yeah, but again, it's, you're, you're putting the cart before the horse. You, you're I don't want to get into the. I know, I know, but I'm not. I'm not. I'm just saying they seem to do that. Not me. I know. The selectors seem to do that. Your, saying, your fear of logic is palpable. I can see it. No. <laughs> It's. I'm. Not, I don't say. I don't select the team. Like I haven't stuck with Aaron Finch for four years. You know. I've been I know. That's true. That's All right. True. Um. What else? Uh, now, Wade. Um, oh yes. I, I, I harp on about this as well, but I just find it hilarious that a, a year ago there were well-written articles. I won't quote the journalist, but I, I've looked at the quote today where it's basically saying the success that Wade has had has been at the top of the order, 
Therefore, the notion that we are going to play him in the middle order in the World Cup is wrong. He hasn't had success in the middle order. It's a vastly different um, kettle of fish. And what did he do? He won us the World Cup batting in the middle of, middle of the order. And now when I say he's batting so well, he should be brought up the order, the whole country says, he is our finisher. You must not bring him up. And I say, are we? Are you having a laugh to say that? I mean, <laughs> the notion of a finisher, it's just a stupid notion. Forget it. What you want with your... T20 side is the most, um, the best batters having the most balls possible that they can potentially face. Now, in the last, in these last six games, I've got the numbers here. He scored 165 off 102 balls, an average of 55. So he's only been out three times despite batting six times, which straight away shows he's batting too low for him to be not out three times. Furthermore, so strike rate of 162. When you look at when he came in and how many balls were left in the innings, you're following me here? Mm-hmm. And say, right, what was the average number of balls left in the innings in all of the six games that he played? And then divide that by two to sort of say, well, assume he's going to face every second ball. You get 19. So in the last six games, we have had it such that the player who I think is batting better than anyone else has had about 19 balls maximum that he is going to face. I just think that's wrong. And I think that um, the last thing you want is for what we've seen in a couple of these games where he's motoring and flying and either he runs out of time because he's not out at the end or he's too late to make a difference. Throw him up the order. He's batting so well. And to hell with the the final overs. We'll deal with it. So we'll worry about that when they come to them. Just get your best players facing as many balls as possible. I mean, yeah, I love Matty Wade. Um, and that's about right. I mean, they talk about, say, the finisher like a Tim David. He sort of works on facing between 50 and 20 balls a game. And, uh, yeah, uh, I, I just think it's hard because you go, well, okay, so Wade goes up the order, then Mitch Marsh comes down the order, and he's been killing it. You know, then Maxwell faces less balls. Yeah, You know, I think with this power, you know, someone's got to miss out. Yeah, I, and <laughs> I don't mind those guys um, batting up high, but the ones that I don't like is when Smith comes in ahead of him or when Finch has mm. come in ahead of him. Um, you know, that's where I, uh, you know, I've got some, uh, some objections. So yeah, <laughs> the ones who are going to go hard right from the start, not so bothered by. Yeah. Robert Craddock was on the radio this week and he was asked about the poor crowds Um and he, he wrote an article about, you know, the, the West Indies series getting poor, very sparse turnouts in uh, the Gold Coast and Brisbane. And uh, there was a pretty good crowd over in Perth. Um, it would be interesting to see how many people turn up for the games in Canberra. But I, I just feel these games, because they're behind a paywall on TV, they kind of go on. And unless you're a diehard cricket fan, you're not really even aware they're happening. Yeah, 100%. Um I mean, partially I don't mind it so much because they are glorified warm-up games. We have got a lot of cricket this summer, including the World Cup. It is very, very early in the season. So you were never expecting absolute sellouts for these games. So, And I, I have sympathy for Cricket Australia that, that the scheduling is it, it is what it is, that in the, the domestic sports that can control their own schedule, then you get that nice routine and rhythm. And we have that to an extent with cricket, like the Boxing Day Test Match um, or the New Year's Test Match. You and me many times have talked in, you know, August or something, like, oh, we're going to go to the SCG Test Match because we always know mm-hmm. it's in the first few days of January. 
how many people in what was August, that's what, five months before the game, how many people five months ago on the Gold Coast were saying, oh, <laughs> we're going to go to the West Indies game that Australia's playing in five, in five months' time? Everyone would have gone, what are you talking about? Um, because it's not part of the calendar. It's just, you know, that there's a, a um, an October T20 game between Australia and the West Indies in the Gold Coast this year. There probably never, never will be again. Uh, so it's – but – that's what you have when you've got an international sport and you've got a World Cup, all of a sudden those things happen. But I, I certainly agree with you as well around the the free-to-air point. The fact that um, channels back in the Channel 9 days, they would have been on the news, talking about it, pumping it up. There'd have been ads throughout the week for it. People, people who still just watch free-to-air TV, and there are plenty of them, would have uh, become aware of it and, and got talking about it. Um, yeah, you know, I haven't told- today with Carl Stefanovic, there would have been, you know, a little bit of a, a throw to the, the ground and someone would have been there and, oh, the palms are warming up for the game tonight. Exactly. And that, back in the day, I remember um, ages ago, Channel 9 would have Shane Warne doing a report and Channel 7 would have, um, I don't know, Steve War or maybe someone else doing a doing a report in the, in the lead up to the actual match. It, it gave it a real sense of this is something, uh, an occasion. And it totally lacks that now. Uh, being behind the paywall to the extent where I haven't actually told you in detail, but what happened to me, but on the, the Australia England game, I was going to have to watch it on my phone uh, for reasons that I won't go into, but I thought, Oh, there's a, a pub nearby. I'll go to the pub. I know they have a big screen. It's a Sunday night that we know one there. They'll let me put whatever I want. I'll have a meal in front of it and watch it. It'll be fantastic. And I thought, oh, I better just check. Rang them up. I said, hey, would you better put the cricket on when it's on tonight? And they said, yeah, absolutely no worries. Got there. They had some Formula One on or something, but no one was watching it. I said, would you be able to switch it to the cricket? Very helpful. They said, yep. Um, what channel is it on? And I said, it's on Fox Sports Cricket. I think it's 501. Don't know what that is in pub talk, but they went through every single channel and they didn't have Fox Cricket. Um, they had no notion of it. And then they said, uh, they checked with someone else and they said, oh, it's only on KO. It's not on Foxtel. And I thought, that doesn't sound right to me, um, unless I've gone mad. Uh, and that was it. Um, so I sat at the pub, watched it on my phone. But that's a further And that's happening all over the country. Um, mm. No doubt about it. And even for those pubs that could have had it on, they didn't, they didn't know it was on, and so they didn't have it on either. And so, yeah, it's, it's not ideal. A disaster. A friggin' disaster. A first world now, problem, um, I admit. You know, so I've had... Yeah. There are people who've had more difficult nights, but um, it was disappointing. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know who's had to suffer more than you've had in human history. <laughs> that just <laughs> the terror, the horror of that night in a pub. <laughs> oh god, how many hours have we spent watching cricket on our phones in the last couple of years? I mean, yeah, I've got really um, good at it. Yeah, and I need glasses <laughs> now. So, um, all right, uh, looking ahead to the T Twenty World Cup. So it starts on Monday. It starts um. Uh, very soon with the preliminary round, there's two groups. Now, Martin Lawrence has asked a question here, which teams do we think will qualify and go through to the second round? And I actually uh, had the two groups here and I was going to answer these questions, but we'll go through them one at a time. First group, you've got Ireland, Scotland, the West Indies and Zimbabwe. I sort of think from this group we'll see the West Indies and Zimbabwe go through. Um, Ireland will threaten but I, I think they'll be outclassed, unfortunately. That's the. I think that's the safe bet, those two. Obviously, the West Indies would be an absolute shock if they didn't go through, although stranger things have happened. Um, 
but yeah, I agree with you. But uh, I also, uh, I wouldn't at all be surprised if either Ireland, especially Ireland, and to a lesser extent Scotland, were to surprise. But yeah, I think I agree. Western Zimbabwe is the, the safe bet. Mm. Uh, and then in Group A, um, you've got Namibia, the Netherlands, Sri Lanka, and the United Arab Emirates. I think we'll see Namibia and Sri Lanka go through. Uh, Namibia have got some pretty handy T20 cricketers, David Visa, uh, who does well in the leagues around mm. the world. So I think they'll sneak in through to the next round, and the Netherlands and the UAE will go home. And after Sri Lanka won the Asian Cup, it would be pretty amazing if they were bundled out by the UAE or Netherlands. Yeah, I think I've had a little tiny bet on Sri Lanka at 100 to 1 to win the whole thing. Um, just I don't think they will. But they showed a bit when they're out here last last year. They've got some players that are quite good. That They seem to be a side on the rise. Um, so if they do, obviously, assuming they do make the main group, which I'm sure they will, then uh, it'll be interesting to watch how they go. So that starts on um, Monday and then um, from those qualifiers, then we move into the, the main stage, uh, two, uh, 12 teams competing um, in two groups of six. I'm going to seven games, I think, Paul, um, seven or eight games. I'm going down to Melbourne for the Australia-England game at the MCG and going to go to all the ones at the SCG. And I think you and I will be podcasting pretty hard throughout this World Cup. Yes, um, that's good. I went to actually get tickets today for the Australia-New Zealand game, and um, I'm sure I will get them. But the it's a little bit confusing. The website. I was on a bus, and I was. But the, the, there seems to be. It's not. It's not. It's not the greatest. I'm sure, it's fine. I'm sure. It's no, no, fine. no. Don't don't give me that. You, I'm much more technically adept than you think I am. Um, <laughs> Because I've because I've stuffed up a couple of times here. You've got this <laughs> mistaken notion that I'm technologically inferior. I'm not, you know, I'm not Bill Gates, but I'm I'm also not um, a caveman. I'm all right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, if I, I was thinking actually, it would be good during the World Cup to do like a live watch along. Like if you know we we you know have the camera on us and are watching the game for an Australian yeah, game, good... um, people could see our reactions. You know, people seeing us like on our phone scrolling Twitter for three hours. <laughs> That's going to be pausing and rewinding and yeah. <laughs> fast-forwarding between the balls. <laughs> yeah, Paul's not even watching live. He's in another room on delay. Yeah. Don't tell me. Three hours later, shut up, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Um, so that's that's the World Cup. Starts next week. Can't wait. Um, uh, I want to actually cricket. one last thing yeah, just to sort of, of um, on that. I did look at the um, – on the on – the, on the, on the, um, the size of the crowds. I had a quick look at the Monica oval prices and they are a hundred bucks, 85, 70, 50. And then the cheapest allocation, the Hill was sold out. So I don't know, maybe it was 30. Um, they are too high. There's just no way of mm. saying that they're not too high. Cricket Australia might say, well, when you factor in all of the blah, 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 overheads and everything else, those are the right prices. And they might say, we're going to get a decent crowd. I don't care. If I lived in Canberra and I was thinking, Oh, I wouldn't mind turning up to this Australia England game. The notion of saying to, to get decent seats that I've got to pay a um, hundred bucks um, or something similar, um, yeah, you're not going to go by yourself, are you? You're going to go. You want to take your wife and your kids, have some exactly. dinner there. Now all of a sudden you're spending four hundred bucks on a T Twenty game. And the thing is, I'd be willing to do that because I love the sport, but it's just demonstrably not value for money because. There's every chance it'll be a wonderful game like the other night in Perth, but there's also every chance that they'll throw up a, 
a two-paced pitch and that it'll be 130 plays 110 and it'll be a forgettable affair. That you know, you can't always expect the, and that's fine. But I reckon 50 bucks should be the maximum price for a game like that, especially a game that in a few months' time, not one of the eight billion people on earth will know who won it. Agree. And I did look, though, on the Gold Coast to see what the prices were, and they were quite a bit lower. It seemed to top out at 50 bucks. Um, so maybe, you know, once you hit to the Canberra and New South Wales. Well, I think England's a bigger Wales. draw card as well. Of course, yeah. Um, yeah, so just turning our attention now to the women's game. Uh, the Women's National Cricket League has paused now and uh, women's cricket now heads into WBBL mode. Um as it takes its break, Queensland is well on top in the Women's National Cricket League. Four matches, four wins, 20 points. They lead Western Australia by 10 points. And then you've got a bit of a pack, um, except to the ACT Meteors, who are minus 0.5 due to slow over rates. So not a good season for them so far. Uh, in the tournament, a lot of runs, 11 centuries so far. Annabelle Sutherland, the leading run scorer, with two centuries and 150. Sophie Day is the leading wicket taker. She's an English left-arm spinner. She's taken 10 wickets, and Alana King is second on nine wickets. Uh, Now, the WBBL starts on Thursday, and I've got my teams from one to eight, Paul, so get out your your betting app or your notes and start taking them down. Um, I'm a bit concerned with your last one here. You've got definite bias here. I'm asking for – I don't want bias. I want – I want cold, objective truth menace. All right, so we'll start with number eight. And, and, and look, I'll preface this. I found the last sort of three or four teams pretty close, pretty not a lot between them. But I'm going with the the, the number eight side. I think will be the Melbourne Stars. I think losing Meg Lanning is a, is a huge blow. You just cannot replace a star like her. So I think she's the Stars will be the wooden spooners for the tournament. Number seven. Actually, well, that's fair enough because they are seventh favourites, so you're you're pretty close to the betting there. Thank you. Um, The Thunder, I've got seventh. I'm a bit worried about their bowling and their power with the bat, Um, but but they are a team that could surprise, but I just, yeah, seventh's where I've got them. And the Um, betting has them as wooden spoon, so you're on the the money so far. Okay, great. Um, Six, I've got the the Adelaide Strikers. Talia McGrath will need to win them a lot of games because – yeah, I don't think the squads are strong as some of the other ones. They're equal um, second favourites. Okay. First, first, um, d- you know, d- uh, difference with the bookies. Fifth. Yeah, that'll either the- be that you've got it wrong or you've got it right. And hopefully your, um, as I said, your uh, expertise is an indicator that you're ahead of the market here. Mm. Uh, the Hurricanes are my fifth place team. Their bowling drops away. Um, Sixth favourite. Yep. Um, fourth. I've got the Brisbane Heat. Any team with Jess Jonathan and the Harris sisters is going to be a tough team to beat. So they're my fourth team. Equal second favourite, but they're all quite okay. clumped at the top. But, yeah, that's not mm-hmm. too bad, yep. Uh, Sydney Sixers are my third favourite team. And I debated about whether they were third or fourth. But, um, you know, I like um, – so you've got Elisa Healy, Sophie Eccleston, the English spinner, and one of the world's best T20 um, bowlers, and then Ash Gardner, who is a really powerful hitter. Of course, Elise Perry. So the Sixers are my third team. They're fourth um, favourite. So, yep, pretty close. Yep. Uh, second, I'm going for the Perth Scorchers, the defending champions. Any team with Sophie Devine, Marizana Cap, and Alana King will be hard to beat. They're the favourites. 
And then my favourites are the Melbourne Renegades. Uh, I love the bowling, uh, Georgia Wareham and Sophie Molyneux. And uh, with Harmon pre-core with the bat, I think they could be the surprise packets for this tournament. And they are the fifth favourites. So there you, there's your big um, your, 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 um, your value bet there. Now, I should say, I haven't intended this segment to be all about betting. It was more just to use the market as a kind of a guide to sort of see. Uh, as I always say, if anyone wants any betting company, nasty betting company wants to sponsor <laughs> us, we'll, we'll say whatever you want. But... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's interesting. Now, um, good. Well, let's see how they yeah. go. So it starts on Thursday. Cannot wait. Um, and for those who have put comments in the chat, we'll get to them in a minute. Uh, a bit more domestic cricket news. Uh, Tasmania on top of the domestic 50-over men's competition. There's been one round of Sheffield Shield cricket wins to Western Australia, beating New South Wales and Queensland beating Tasmania. For Western Australia, Lance Morris took five for 36 and Teague Wiley was the youngest centu- uh, Shield centurion since Ricky Ponting. Um, he made 104. That's exciting. And, uh, I mean, yeah, it's been really talked good. about for a couple of years now. Um, when I did a couple of radio interviews ahead of the uh, was it the Under-19s World Cup um, a year ago and I was doing research. His name was, you know, here, there and everywhere. And so he's been on the radar for a while. Fantastic to see him getting 100. Mm, great stuff. And Lance Morris is an interesting uh, cricketer because uh, 5 for 36 is a bit quicker than I thought he was initially. He's getting up to around 140 plus and he might be around that Australian squad in the next couple of years. Just keep an eye on him. Uh, for Queensland in their victory over Tasmania, good sides. Uh, Manus Labashane scored 127. Usman Kawaja made 72. Uh, strangely, Kawaja bats in the middle order for Queensland and Burns and Renshaw opened. It's funny, wasn't that? Was it with was it Peter Taylor who was playing for Australia, but was twelfth man for New South Wales back in the day? There was, mm. a, there was a period where that was happening. It's like Queensland said, "No, nah, we don't care what you do, Australia. We'll um, we'll do things our way." Um, yeah, you know my thoughts on batting order. I don't think it matters, but yeah, yeah I agree with you. It's a little bit curious. It's a good lineup though for Queensland: Burns, Renshaw, Manus, Kawaja, uh, and then. Um, Mark Steckity had a good game with the ball and he almost had a hat trick. Joe Burns dropped dropped a tough chance to his left on the hat on the hat trick ball. So um yeah. Did a shame one. I thought it was Joe to Joe Burns' right and that it was Kawaja who dived across in front in front of him. And that it was kind of um Maybe I mean I thought it was Burns, but I could be wrong. I mean I look I was looking on my phone. Yeah, I watched it on my phone as well. They're saying it was Burns who dropped the catch, but it's kind of if if I read it right, it was Kawaja who sort of obscured him by diving mm. all the way in front of him. But um, I mean, I hate to comment on technique because I haven't got the pedigree to do so. But it it did just seem that that Barnes has got that Burns has got that wide legged stance that it all irritates me and makes it sort of harder to sort of be nimble. And that why are the slips so close together? But maybe I'm reading too much into it. Bad luck to Mark Steckity. Very much so. Um, what else? Uh, oh, Tim Payne made his return to Sheffield Shield cricket. He made six and 29 not outs. Uh, and apparently took uh, a couple of good catches. Yep, indeed. So, yeah, um, really pleased to see him back. And I hope that he, um, I hope he plays for a couple of seasons. And, um, you know, we always say that one of the strengths of the Sheffield Shield competition used to be that you'd have uh, grizzled veterans, not that he's a grizzled veteran, he's um, anything but, coming back and keeping the competition nice and strong. So that's really good. I wish him well. So do I. In the other game, Sorry, one more question. One more question on that. 
what do you think is more improbable? Him returning to the test side or back in 2016 when he was kind of at his low point, him returning to the test side at that point then? I mean, obviously that turned out to happen. <laughs> but I actually think it's more likely he's, he's closer to the test side now than he was yeah. in 2016. He wasn't even playing for Tasmania when he went to yeah. the test side. I mean, what, what, what would it take? For him to return to the test side, so Alex Carey breaks a finger, Josh Inglis breaks a finger. Uh, I'm just going finger because I don't want them to actually hurt themselves, and um, they heal. Yeah. Um, Jimmy Pearson gets kidnapped and like taken to Columbia and unavailable for selection. Um, <laughs> who else? Uh, I think what it would take would be um, him to be batting the house down and. Probably, yeah, an injury to to carry and maybe the other keepers not in form, plus him affecting a few sublime stumpings and whatever else. But, yeah, I mean, it's very, very unlikely. It's just that five years ago it was very, very, very unlikely. Inglis is in like a tunnel and he doesn't get misses service for five minutes and like missed the call and then Bailey just goes, oh, I'll just call my mate Payne instead. Tim, Inglis didn't pick up. You want to play? Um <laughs> Chuck Darren Berry gets kidnapped. Yeah. <laughs> Graham Manu's <laughs> Ian Healy's taken off in a spaceship. All the wicket keepers in Australia are kidnapped. <laughs> All of a sudden, Payne is keeping for every team. <laughs> All right. Uh, in the um, in the other game, Henry Hunt playing for South Australia batted for over three hundred balls, making ninety seven not outs uh, to save the game for South Australia. So a fine performance from a very um, improving a player that's improving a lot yeah i mean a great performance gosh what an effort um that is that's a sort of uh, the sort of epic innings that makes everyone happy bit weird did you think that um they i mean it seemed like he wasn't bothered by it but so he's as i understand he was he was 97 not out with three balls to go and they needed three wickets to win the vix he defends a ball so all of a sudden there's not going to be a, they can't win anymore there's only two balls to go and Hanscom walks up and says, let's call it off. Um, and he was like, oh, I've just batted for a, a colossal length of time. I'm, he probably could barely feel his legs. And he's just more than happy to walk off and, and shake hands. I would have thought the right thing to do from Hanscom, not a big deal, but would have been to walk up and say, well done, mate. It's going to be a draw. Two balls left. You might as well slap them and try and crack your 100. What do you reckon? No, uh, no, no. That's not that's that's not the way cricket works in Australia. There's no freebies. No one likes to give anything away. No, no, they don't um, have to be freebies. But um, there were two balls left in the game. If if Hanscom had said no, I'm not shaking hands, then they would have had to bowl them. Mm. Oh, I, and I because I, I just don't think Henry Hunt cared. And like, Henry Hunt to me might have just blocked out those two balls and thought I'll just get the red ink. I mean that's also the way cricketers think. So maybe I think it's a bit of a just, storm um, in a teacup. Oh no, I, I'm not. I'm not saying it's um, a huge issue. I'm just saying it's a bit um, slightly strange. Um, it's not like that any- game where someone was a 98 and the guy bowled a no ball just so the game would end. Vince. Uh, yes. No, that was James Vince, and there was a it was a Andrew Tybold a wide. Yes, um, that's it. But I, I think I don't. I mean, a, it was a wide on height. I, I I like to think that Ty was just trying to kind of bowl him a bouncer and didn't really think it through. Um, but anyway, um, great innings. The only thing I'll say is I, I'm a, a little bit perplexed that everyone who's been commenting saying, "Oh, this guy Henry Hunt is he's the future for Australia in Test cricket," and 
I hope he is, and he might be, and I really like him. And I, you know, he's he's a player that we've talked about a few times. He's on the radar. Um, but just because he played a long, slow innings, I think there's a bit of nostalgia from people like, oh, I remember back when I was a kid and none of this T20 stuff and you had to score. If you hadn't scored 14 million runs in first-class cricket off a billion balls, like, you know, the, they dream of a day when a, blast, a batter got 15 runs in a session. And I don't know that that's really what we should be encouraging. And if you look at his overall record, it's promising. He's 25. He's batted 54 times. He averages 39. Now that's that's perfectly good. It's a good start. And I'm sure that if you looked at what like Steve Waugh's average was after 54 innings or something like that, it probably was something similar. Strike rate of 43. Um, is he going to dominate test cricket? That's my question. He may. He he may be on an on the up and up, and good luck to him. But I would I would need to see a bit more because at the moment he looks like if you just take those figures. Do you really want someone who's going to average about 37 in test cricket scoring at a really glacial pace? Um, I'd rather Tim David. Yeah, I, I like Hunt, but like you, I'm not quite as enamoured with him as maybe other people are. I mean, what I've seen of him, he looks a very serviceable cricketer, a very handy player, but he doesn't quite yet scream to me test player. He looks quite limited, and I think... I think good bowlers will really test him. I mean, if he's scoring at that strike rate in shield cricket, imagine what happens when you get to test cricket. Exactly. Where, you know, you know, say in shield cricket, just sort of picking numbers, but say you get, you know, two balls and over you can score off in shield cricket. Maybe in test cricket it's half that. So, you know, what will we get from him then? Yeah, and people say, oh, we don't care how fast they are as long as the runs come. But the thing is, if you're not dominating shield to a level where um, you're getting – an average at least into the mid forties and a and a halfway decent strike rate, as you say. When you then go to the test level, you're going to to struggle even more. I mean, looking like at his Cam record, Bancroft, I thought he was one of those players that really struggled at test level with limited shots. Um, yeah, I mean, look at his record; it's it's encouraging. His first season, he averaged twenty nine. His next season, he averaged forty five. Last season, he averaged forty two. And then he's obviously averaging, he scored 100 runs for one out in this game. So he's heading in the right direction. Don't get me wrong. Like, you know, um, he certainly yeah. should be um, kept kept safe as someone who may play test career. But my point about Tim David was one that I think some people would say, oh, you, you know, you should be thrown out of the country for suggesting that he would ever play test cricket. But th- that's something that we might have to consider. Like, you know, if, he, if he's not someone who's ever going to go through the, the, the traditional route, but if he is facing high quality bowling at the T20 level and handling it okay, um, they should at some stage at least consider him for uh, in red ball cricket. Maybe pretty um, handy number six, wouldn't he, coming in um, last session, taking on tie bowlers. Could be pretty brutal. I like it. I like it. Exactly, yep. It, be scared. Right, if you're the opposition captain, you'd be scared when he walked out. Mm-hmm. All right, so the last uh, couple of cricket headlines – this one is mainly so we don't get in trouble. Um, India are taking on South Africa in a an ODI series. So strangely, uh, like two weeks before the 20-over World Cup, they're playing a 50-over series. And because of that, the whole Indian T20 World Cup squad is not playing. So, look, it's still a pretty strong team that India put out. Shikha Darwin's the captain. Um, but uh, interesting, they're playing a 50-over series. The deciders, I think, probably underway as we're recording. The series is one all. Nice ton by Shreyas Iyer in the second ODI to level that series. 
So they're quite entertaining. And um, across the, the ditch in um, Australia and New Zealand, a nice little T20 tri-series New Zealand, Bangladesh and Pakistan is going on. And there's been some good cricket there. Um, New Zealand looking good at home and looking good ahead of the World Cup. They do uh, have a pretty good chance, I think, in the World Cup. Um, we talk Australia, England, India as the three favourites, and I think they are entitled to be. I think New Zealand and Pakistan aren't too far away. Um, would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I actually think that there's, the teams are closer together than people are thinking. I, I think actually even South Africa, you look at them, you know, Quinton de Kock comes back into the 20 side. All of a sudden, you know, you add him in with, um, you know, David Miller and um, Klassen and their fast bowlers. I think there's going to be, you know, a, six or seven teams that are going to be competing. Yep, I agree. All right. Um, we're going to get to Can't Let It Go, but before that, we love to get to all the questions in the chat um, and comments. Joe Smith, he's got the Thunder Ladies coming last. Martin Lawrence has sent in a correction. No, Andrew, the tournament starts Sunday afternoon in Geelong, and he's spot on. And he says, see you in Melbourne for the England game. Cannot wait. Are you going down for the uh, India-Pakistan game as well? Nope. You should. Uh, I, I, look, I can't go for more than one game, and I had to apply for, like, what games I'd go for the accreditation, and I didn't select that one. And Yeah, uh, I was, yeah it's, it's hard, but, I mean, geez, that'd be a good game to be at, that, that um, India-Pakistan game. Mm, it'd be uh, lots of fun. Lots yeah. of fun. So it's Australia and England at the MCG and India and Pakistan at the MCG. Um, that is... A tick to the organisers. Well done. I mean, it should be a no-brainer, but to get the two biggest games at the biggest venue is is really excellent. I agree, and I think it's going to be a great tournament. All right, let's get into the um, can't let it go. Thanks for everybody for watching live. Um, all right, can't let it go. What have you got for me? I really enjoyed, I think as others have commented as well, how <laughs> Brad Haddon in commentary the other night just just said Josh Butler like the whole way through. <laughs> and it was like when Josh Butler first appeared on the scene, for a while there it was like a rite <laughs> of passage for every commentator. They would say Josh until they got corrected. But Brad Haddon's just gone, nah, bugger it, mate. Um, you know, if you're going to have a silly name like Joss, I'm going to switch and call you Josh. And <laughs> I just find it weird that no one – tapped him on the shoulder and said, mate, his first name's actually, um, it's Joseph, and they shortened it to Joss. So it's got nothing to do with um, Josh. Um, and I have heard um, others hypercorrect that they will call someone called Josh, they'll call him Joss as kind of a reverse. Um, I remember Joss years ago Hazelwood. When, yeah, I remember years ago when um, um, Xavier Doherty was playing and Shane Warne was in commentary and he was saying, oh, Xavier Doherty this and Xavier Doherty that. And then, Clearly something had happened and suddenly one went, and that was a good ball from Xavier Doherty. <laughs> Someone had told him. <laughs> he probably could have been corrected. Some producer <laughs> had tapped him on the shoulder. It's, it's surprising um, that no one tapped Haddon on the shoulder at some point during the game. It's Maybe they did and he just went, mate, I'm calling him Josh um, and that's it. But he also – he. he you don't have to say the first name. There's no other butlers around, but he, he seemed mm. to delight in actually putting the, the first name there. <laughs> and the other one, um, I, uh, I found it amusing that Mark Waugh mentioned that Alex Hales had been out of the England setup for about 12 months. Uh, and I thought, 
He's been at it for a lot longer than I looked it up. He's been out for 42 months. Um, but I, I, I was listening to the Great Cricketer podcast and they made a point that I thought was quite funny. They said, when someone like Mark Waugh, who they said watches cricket from November to February only, um, it probably has been 12 months <laughs> if he's interested in cricket. Four years times three months. It's been about 12 months since he's last been in there. That cracked me up a bit. It's not that funny. Oh, um, settle down, man. It's, it's a good podcast, The Great Cricketer. You should like yeah, it. They, yeah, yeah, nice guys sometimes. Um, <laughs> I got the, the England have just sent through the, the contract list for next year. Joffre Archer's on it. There's no real surprises. I have to go through it. Anyway. Um, all right, Mike. Last, uh, last one for me. Last one for yes. me. Yes. Um, I just don't understand why when a player comes out to bat or comes in the bowl, they show the T20 international stats for that player. Um, I think T20 franchise cricket is so strong and so much more uh, played that I, I want to see someone's overall T20 stats. And I think it's sort of strange. You see, oh, he's played 15 T20 internationals, but you know he's played 87 franchise games. Show me the whole thing. It's also, I think, weird the way that they do the T20 rankings, that they've got it purely on internationals. And so at the moment they're saying, oh, Josh Butler's the 26th best T20 batter in the world. And everyone's saying, well, that's not true. Um, and you've got 25th is George Munsey from Scotland. Aaron Finch is currently number six. Uh, Liam Livingston is currently 93. Tony Eura from PNG is 37. Johnny Bairstow is 42. Why don't they just say that franchise cricket is so close to the standard of international cricket in T20 and often above it, Let's work out an algorithm that takes into account everything so we can actually have stats that are meaningful, rankings that are meaningful, and then show everyone's entire career stats in T20 rather than T20 International. It's a good point. I guess the, the issue is, though, like not all domestic T20 comps are the same standard. So the IPL might be stronger than international cricket, whereas some T20 comps like the Big Bash, they might be a lot lower than international cricket. So- I know, but I would like to refer you to the events of 1969. What we landed someone. We landed someone on the moon. We can work that out. Well, I think though, giving people his over someone's overall T Twenty figures is better for the viewer though. Like I think you get more of an idea of what sort of player they are. If you're watching at home, you know their sample size in domestic cricket will be a lot more, so you get an idea of how good they yeah. are. And for the rankings, they can do what they do in other sports and what they do in Test cricket as well. That they could sort of. Um, they could say, look, if he, if, he, if he has absolutely dominated the um, the Super Smash or whatever it is in um, in New Zealand, that doesn't count for as much as if he's absolutely dominated the the IPL. That, that you know, you can have um, that's what they do in tennis. They have every tournament mm. um, ranked. Uh, our friend Patrick always likes to refer to the various different T Twenty tournaments as Ram Slams because he was so taken by the name of the initial, <laughs> the inaugural um, South African one. So, as in the sentence, there are lots of uh, Ram Slams around the world, but the IPL is the is the premier Ram Slam. They could just rank rate the Ram Slams and accordingly get the the player rankings accordingly. Yeah, ironically, now the Ram Slam has become the IPL. So, anyway, um, <laughs> the Ram Slam is defunct. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right, Mike can't let it go. I've got two. Uh, New South Wales were bowled out for 76 over in WA. You know, I, I just left New South Wales cricket headquarters, you know, espousing how they were the, you know, the they fed all these first-class cricketers into the Australian system and all this stuff, and then they get 
uh, razzle-dazzled for 76 at the Wacker, brought back memories of when I was a kid in New South Wales to travel over there and get dusted up. Do you remember that time they got bowled out in the Wacker and the head, the, the Daily Telegraph had the gravestones of the New South Wales team? <laughs> back in the days when the Shield got a bit more publicity. I remember... Um, <laughs> From page of paper. 84-85, Australia in the first test against the West Indies at the Wacker got bowled out for 70-something. And that was probably the most terrifying fast bowling performance I've ever seen. We, were, we got bowled out for 70-something and we're lucky to crawl to that level. And staying in Perth for Can't Let It Go, you know, th- thrilled for the cricket fans over there that they got their first um, international game since 2019. Congratulations. I hope a lot of you went out and saw it and, uh, you know, I hope you get lots more cricket over summer. But great to see them finally get some action. No doubt there were some English fans on Twitter saying, where's the whole crowd? And not realising that, was it 22,000? I think it was. Um, I thought I saw 22 and I saw 25. But anyway, it was basically a bigger crowd than most English grounds can accommodate. Also, Perth with its whatever, 2 million people, the, the next nearest city, Adelaide, is a 600-billion-year drive away. Um, so it's not actually that bad. Um, it's a pretty decent uh, roll-up, I think. Yeah, absolutely. All right, that's the end of this episode of, of Cricket Unfiltered, this episode of Can't Let It Go. could be a whole podcast, so we just talk about things that we can't let go. Um, <laughs> and we'll be back, what, next week? The World Cup will be underway then. The WBBL will be underway then. So uh, there'll be lots to talk about. Yeah, can't wait. See you, Thanks, everybody. See you, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now, driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.